Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Let's try that again. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Great. Much better. Thank you very much. The coffee's kicking in. Good job. Well, I'm not Gabe. As you can tell, I'm half the man. Start off with a bad joke, get a bad reaction. Okay. My name's Carlton, um, and I am uh, one of the older people here. So it is a blessing to be with you guys. Uh, just so that you may know who I am, uh, I was in youth ministry for over 20 years. One of my youth, one of my youth, Ricky's one of my youth, one of my youth. I mean, I can go around the room, one of my youth, and see how this works out. And so when um, we stepped out of youth ministry and stepped into church planting, we planted a church just like this in Cleveland called Oikos, um, not the yogurt. Uh, Oikos is actually Greek, and it means family, or if you're a Disney freak, Ohana. Um, so we started that, and we're around for about five or six years, and stepped out of it, and we came to the branch because it was the only logical place for me and my family to go. And from the first Sunday we came, we were like, this is where we need to be. And so uh, I work currently at Home Depot. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> me back it. Take me out back and shoot. Uh, and uh, doing that and do a few other things uh, along the same lines. But I am overjoyed to be with you this morning communicating God's word. Let's pray before we get started because I'm about to throw up. So, Father, <laughs> you are so good. And we are overjoyed that we get a chance to come and just spend time with other believers. And, and maybe even not other believers, but just people who are genuinely seeking. And so would you reveal yourself this morning through your word, through music, uh, through meditation, through our time together. Speak your truth. Holy Spirit, move in such a way where you draw people to the Father and to the Son and empower me to speak on their behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. amen. A lot of churches are getting together today and they're talking about the new year and seven different ways to be a better parent or eight different ways to be a better spouse in the new year. We're not going to do that. Um, and I'll tell you why we're not going to do that. We're actually going to look back. Uh, we've just come out of a season of Advent. Advent, for those of you that maybe didn't grow up in the church, is the four weeks prior to Christmas. And the idea is that we are expectantly awaiting that which has already come to come again, Jesus. And so um, we're going to wrap that up today, and then we will jump back into the book of Luke next week uh, and get back on our seven-year plan of studying the book of Luke. Um, I love it. I'm not, I'm just being honest with you. Um, but we're going to look back today before we start looking forward, okay? And I'll, I'll tell you why it's kind of important to me. Um, I am a history freak. Anybody out there love history? Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> this is going to go over like a pregnant pole vulture. Um, so I, one of the things I love about history is I love to see when people make wise decisions in history. My sons, uh, A.J., Alexander Joshua, his name means something. Alexander, one of the greatest military commanders to ever live. Joshua, one of the greatest biblical military commanders to ever live. Elliot, uh, Elliot is a form of Elijah. Elijah, the prophet, okay? Uh, Tozer, Russell Tozer. Russell was my wife's grandfather who was a pastor for 40 years. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, Aiden Wilson Tozer, who was a great theologian from the United States. If you ever want to read a book, it will rock your mind, Pursuing God. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful book as far as A.W. Tozer writing. But there's a lot of things that go into that. As we study history, we learn some things. One of the things that we learned, if you don't study history, if you don't look at your past and understand your past, you are doomed to make the same mistakes in your future. 
okay? And I'll give you an illustration of this, kind of the mindset. Uh, in 2015, I went to Jerusalem. I went to Israel. Uh, was there, not on a pilgrimage or anything spiritual like that. Uh, one of the things I also do is I teach self-defense. And so I went to Israel to train and do uh, <laughs> just hand-to-hand combative training and anti-terrorist training because <laughs> it's just fun, okay? <laughs> I got to shoot guns. I got to run things. and It was great. But um, we were there for about 12 days, and, and one of the things that we did in the morning is we would train for about six hours in the morning, and then the afternoons we would actually go around and see the sites. Uh, it's called Tour and Train. And so we would get a chance to see um, Mossad, which is the last stand the free Jews had as the Roman Empire crushed them. Um, we got to see the Dead Sea, which is dead. Um, we got to see uh, Old Jerusalem. We actually got to see the walled city. Um, we got to see some really cool places. But one of the places that we went that was probably one of the most depressing places I've ever been, we went to the Holocaust Museum. Okay? And the Holocaust Museum is a museum dedicated to the Holocaust. Um, we have a, a society that's trying to deny that over 6 million Jews were systematically murdered by the Nazis in World War II. Oh, that didn't really happen. Okay, all right, yeah, nice talk, Dean. So we got a chance to go through it. And one of the things that we did is we go through the Holocaust Museum. It begins at the beginning and goes all the way through the end. But one of the things that we learned, and, and Moshe Katz is, is my instructor. He's the one who came up with the system that we, we, we do. Moshe walked with me because he knows I'm a, I'm a pastor. I try not to say that a lot. But he knows I'm a pastor. And I got to sit through a three-hour Jewish synagogue service completely in Hebrew. I understood 12 words. Yay, seminary. Um, so we got a chance to go through that. And one of the things that you find out the Holocaust Museum teaches you, it wasn't simply the Germans that helped to, to, help to murder the Jews. It was the world. And a lot of people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not, <laughs> that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable because no nation would take in the Jewish people to offer them sanctuary. Not even the United States. And so what you learn is that the Jewish people live through two lenses in their entire lives. It's tough, but you have to understand this. The Jewish people live through the lens of the Passover. Everything is seen from the Passover, and everything is seen from the Holocaust. So you have to understand that if you don't understand the past, if you don't study history, you are doomed to make the same mistakes in the future. So we're going to look back. Before we look forward. Is that okay? Real happy illustration. Holocaust. Yay. All right. If you got your Bibles, do me a favor. I want you to turn to Luke. <laughs> Suckers. Uh, Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at the, we've looked at the Christmas story quite a bit. But we're going to look at it through a, uh, another lens. Um, and I want you to understand something. I don't communicate like a lot of people. I'm just going to give you some observations. Okay? So if you're a note taker, you may just want to write down some questions as I kind of give them to you. Um, but it's not necessarily, you're not going to learn anything really new and hip and cool because I'm not. So, Advent, we're looking at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And I will read this uh, from the ESV. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night, because that's what shepherds do. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day is born a Savior in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, with, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom with he is well pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known to the, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Advent. Four weeks. The four pillars of Advent that we have talked about for quite a while now, hope, peace, joy, love. So each one of those Sundays leading up to it, we deal with hope, we deal with peace, we deal with joy, we deal with love. And what's interesting as you look at this passage and begin to kind of digging into it, you're going to understand that with this process of thought, you see this in this story. And it's not just for Christmas. It's actually the way we can live throughout the year. Let me kind of explain what I mean. Shepherds. Let me, we're just going to do some observation here. Verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds. What do we know about shepherds? Go ahead, Elliot. Okay. They had the lowest job in the village other than the guy who cleaned out toilets. Okay. All right. What else? They didn't have toilets back then, just so you know. What else? What do we know about shepherds? <laughs> okay, let's state the obvious. <laughs> shepherd, shepherd, sheep. Okay? Very good, astute. Not bad. Good. All right, something else. Sorry, it's a bad joke. It's going to be a bad joke this morning. Okay, I apologize. All right, let me give you some lowdown on sheep. Um, sheep, not sheep, but shepherds. We were in Jerusalem... Um, where we stayed was Mullah Adin, which is places in that area. Meaning, like on Friday at Friday at, at literally at dusk, the city shut down. There were no cars driving around. There were no people walking around. They observe the Sabbath big time, and nothing opened up until Saturday night. So very Orthodox, very Jewish Orthodox community. Um, where we were staying, it was a wall. And when you look down, you actually saw shepherds tending sheep. They still do shepherding today in Jerusalem. And it was interesting because as we were walking, Moshe would walk and he'd go, don't, don't talk to them, don't acknowledge them, don't do anything. And I'm like, why? He said, because they're shepherds. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Captain Obvious. I kind of figured that one out. He goes, no, these are the cutthroats in our society. They will just assume kill you as talk to you. And I was like, really? He goes, oh, I'm serious. He says, you know, these are, these are the people that, that they will swindle you. They will beat you. They will take your stuff. They are unreliable. They are liars. Nothing has changed from over 2,000 years ago. Shepherds are seen as the lowlifes of society. So there was these shepherds tending their flocks by night. And it's interesting because you think about it. Here's the observation I kind of want to get. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Why they... Okay, I apologize. Yes, it is. 
Quinnick. How's that? Gabe. <laughs> This is rather uncomfortable, by the way. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, baby. All right. Thank you, brother. So the shepherds themselves, lowest, lowest form of Jewish life, but God chose to reveal himself to them. Why? Why? I mean, think about that just for a second. He could have revealed himself to the religious leaders. He could have revealed himself to Herod. He could have revealed himself... To anybody he chose to, but he chose shepherds. Why? What's the thought process there? I think it's interesting that if you look at it, what are pastors called today? Shepherds. And many of us, right, Gabe, have been called from the lowest forms of <laughs> society and dregs. But God reveals himself, speaks to us, we hear the call, and, and we serve. So it's not just kind of an interesting thought process. There, there's some symbolism to this. The angel of the Lord reveals himself to the shepherds to say, this is what's getting ready to happen. This is the promise of God coming forth in your time period. And so you see that as far as David was also, what was David before David was called to be king? He was a shepherd. He was a bad shepherd too. I mean, not like bad. He like killed everything that moved and messed with his sheep. That's why he became a warrior king. And God called him out of that, out of the shepherding. Youngest of all, the runt of the family becomes God's spokesperson. There's symbolism there. So we see this, and fear of the Lord showed around them. And they were filled with fear. So the next point I want to kind of point out is, verse 9, when you see an angel, when you see this idea of God's presence showing up, and everywhere in Scripture where an angel appears, where the Lord appears, where the Spirit appears, what happens to the people? Okay, I want you to see something very important here because this is a part of my framework. You don't see them raising their hands going, glory, hallelujah, the Lord is here. Oh, they don't do that. When the presence of the Lord shows up, people don't rise up, they hit their face. Because God is so immensely holy and powerful and amazing and beautiful that when the appearance of the Lord shows up, it drives us to our face. That is huge because it shows how jacked up we really are. When you come into the presence of true holiness, you don't rise up. You're pushed down. And I want us to understand that because a lot of times we use this word praise and worship synonymously. They are not synonymous. They are two separate words. Praise, lifting up glory. You rock. You're amazing. Worship, being brought low. And here we see worship happening. They are brought low in the presence of God. His overwhelming presence. And then we go to verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. <laughs> because the angel always has to say to the people what? Don't soil yourself, okay? I'm not here to kill you. Fear not. Don't freak out. It's okay. Fear not. And then this proclamation. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for who? All people. 
This idea of good news. What do we also call good news today? The gospel. Which if you look at the translation of Evangelion, the gospel, it's not good news. It's the better than good, good news. It's phenomenal news. Phenomenal news. That in, unto you in this, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is called the Christ. And it will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This idea, when you see this idea of the better than good news, the first word in Advent pops up. Hope. As Gabe talked about hope, he said hope is not some unicorn shooting rainbows out of his nose, you know, fairy type deal. That, that hope is certainty. Hope is expectancy. Hope is something that you can hang your hat on. It's as solid as truth. So when we talk about hope, we talk about the certainty of what God has done and what is he is doing. So you see this to the shepherds that the prophecy is coming true. The Lord is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Savior is coming. And in that, we find our hope. They found hope in that because they were shepherds. They were ceremonially unclean. They couldn't even enter the temple to offer sacrifice. So that's why everybody looked down on them because they were always unclean because they were around what? Sheep. Have you hung out with sheep? Not the cleanest animal. Not the brightest animal either. They, they couldn't even enter into the temple. So literally they were the dregs of society, but God reveals himself to them to give them what? Hope. Hope. This good news of great joy that will be born in this, day, in this city of David, a Savior who is called the Christ. Well, here's a question. I'm, I'm typically a skeptic. I'm always skeptical of things. So I always ask this question. So if I see something happening, I go, what, why, when, where, who, how, all that kind of journalistic mentality. But you see this happening and you say, okay, well, hope comes, but hope for what? Why do we have to have this hope? Well, we have to have this hope because <laughs> we're broken. We are busted. Those of you who are younger that don't have kids, you know, you talk about being, you know, I understand sin. You don't understand sin. Have a child. You guys are getting ready to understand what sin is all about. That baby comes into this earth and it's like, gimme, 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 gimme. Two o'clock in the morning, I'm hungry. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Okay? And then this poor little thing's gonna grow up and it's gonna start walking around. And it's gonna start grabbing things. Don't touch that. <laughs> Don't touch that. Okay? Then, when they start developing language and stuff, then they're going to lie like a dog in the middle of the road. Did I tell you not to eat that cookie? Uh-huh. Why you had that cookie in your hand? You want it? No. Well, then can I have it? No. Okay. <laughs> lie, 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 lie. You will not model that behavior. My wife and I did not model lying, stealing, cheating, beating each other. I mean, we don't walk around going, stop touching me, and beating each other up. <laughs> but our boys have apparently mastered it. Okay? We don't model this behavior. We are born broken. We are born sinful. We are born jacked up. Okay? And it's funny because we were, we were coming up here today, and are we going to be able to even see those if we put them up, those pictures? Have y'all ever seen hashtag nailed it? Okay, if you can actually see some of these, and bless their heart, they were supposed to come up really pretty, but they don't. Um, these are people who've done Pinterest stuff. And they've gone like a recipe for Pinterest, and they've done like a minion cake. So here's what it should look like. 
and then they form it and it looks complete like the minion doesn't have one eye, it's got two eyes like this and it looks like this and then they put hashtag nailed it. <laughs> so we're driving over here laughing ourselves sick. The minion cake is to the right. Uh, you've got a Pikachu cake that if you could actually see what it looks like, it looks like Satan incarnate, okay? <laughs> Uh, this is a beautiful cake, and it turned out to be the Leaning Tower of Pizza. Uh, you see these things. We, we are generally screwed up in our nature because that's just the way we are. We're born that way. What hope do we need? That's the hope. We, we need hope that somebody is going to save us from ourselves. I don't need somebody to help me be sinful. I can do it just fine on my own. That is my nature. That is the nature I'm born into. That is a hope that I need. I need someone to come in and change my situation, change my circumstance. This is the hope that we talk about. Good news has come. The Christ is born. The Messiah is born. Hope is for what? Hope is for Christ. Hope is for Jesus. What does that hope bring? This is interesting because if you look at the four pillars, hope, what's next? Peace. Our hope is that we have peace with God. Because without peace with God, we're doomed. And I, I mean at the end. If someone has not sacrificed for your sin, you are in your sin. Your sin is your own. You will meet the maker one day and you will have to make restitution for that sin. And, and well, I didn't know. <laughs> it doesn't work. It may work with your mom and daddy. If I didn't know if I didn't show up to class, I'd make a D. Okay, it doesn't work that way. Our hope is for peace with God, and that's exactly what Jesus brings. When he stepped foot on this earth as God in flesh, he lived the life we cannot live, perfection. He died the death we should be, we should be killed for because of our sin. And then after making payment for it, he rose again. Showing, putting the stamp, I've accomplished it. Hope leads to peace, peace with God. And we move from that ideology of peace with God, literally, it's what Jesus came for, to glorify God by bringing peace with God and man, by his sacrifice. Think of it in terms of, you know, what's the result of peace? Well, we have hope, we have peace. What's the result? The result? <laughs> Verbal palsy. Okay. What's the result of hope and peace when they come together? The overflow of that is what? Joy. I've got the joy, joy. Sorry. <laughs> I just went to youth camp. I apologize. Um, joy. The response of that, when we have peace with God by what Christ has done, is joy. I can live in a way, and you look at what the, the shepherds hear this, okay? They flip out, they find out what God's promise is, then they hear this statement in verse 13, and suddenly there was a angel, a multitude of angels of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. That's a weird saying. We're sinful, we're messed up. How's he pleased? Because he brings what we need. And in that, the hope and the peace, the overflow is the joy. See what the shepherds did. I think this is kind of cool. 
When the angels went away from them, the shepherds said to one another, hey, we're the dregs of society. Nobody ever wants to speak to us or come into contact with us. They don't even be near us because we may cut them. Let's go tell everybody what just happened and let's go see what happened. It's like completely stepping outside of their nature. We know our role, but no. Raise the eyebrow. We're not going to do our role. We're going to go completely against that. We're going to go see what God has revealed. I love this saying. He has made known to us. There had to be some sense of a pride that God would reveal it to them and not to somebody else. There had to be some sense of, man, we got to go see this. There's an excitement. There is an amplification. They're amped. They're ready to rock, okay? They are bowed up. This is the overflow. This is joy. And they run and they go see what's taking place. They go to Bethlehem because God made it known to them. The overflow is joy. If you've got your Bibles, real quick, if you, if you like this, turn to 1 Thessalonians. Okay? Just find the T's, you'll find Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, we're going to look at two verses. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. 19 and 20. 2, 19 and 20, it says this. For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? The question is asked. What is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown or our own boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica and saying to them, hey, listen, you as the church, you are our joy. You are the thing that brings us pride in the eyes of God because we planted this church and look at what God is doing. But there's also a second part of this, the ideology of Paul stating to them, our joy and our hope simply isn't you, but what God is doing through you. What God is doing in you. So ultimately, their joy and their hope is not found in the church, but it's found in whom? God. Kind of a bringing this home, hope and peace and joy. You, Jesus, are our hope. You, Jesus, are our peace. You, Jesus, are our joy. And it's interesting that this is really New Testament-wise. Guess what this is the first mention of in the New Testament? That G word. The gospel. This is really the first beginning in the New Testament, the mention of the gospel, of what's coming. Our joy, our hope, our peace. This is the gospel-centered message that comes about. Joy is the overflow of our hope and our peace. Our hope is in Christ. Our peace, the peace that Jesus is, what he brings. And this joy is the overflow of that. And then you look at 15 and 16, back to Luke. It says this, the response, their response was, overjoyed they literally ran off to see it they and then they 17 and 18 they spread the word to those who heard it and they were amazed what is joy's overflow you got hope and you got peace its overflow is joy but what's the overflow of joy well it's the last one in <laughs> its love 
these guys who wouldn't speak to anyone in society, these guys who wouldn't do anything in society, started going around and spreading what God had shown them and real. The promise that God had talked about hundreds of years in the past was made manifest right then, right now, and they went out and became the first evangelists and missionaries going completely against their nature, telling people what's going on, that literally the overflow of joy is love. You see, when we talk about this ideology of Christmas time and what is came is coming back again. Jesus, who came as a babe, who lived, who died, who was buried, who rose again. He's coming back again. And the next time he comes back, it's not going to be happy, joy-filled peace time, okay? When, joy, when Jesus comes back, he brings back the wrath of God the next time. It's almost like your parents just pulling over the van. I'm whipping everybody, okay? When Jesus comes back, he's whipping everybody, all right? But understand, you know, one of the greatest things, I had a conversation with a guy at work, and we talked about the book of Revelation, and he said, we're going through the book of Revelation. I don't get all this symbolism and everything. I said, hold on, hold on. Don't get caught up in the symbolism. Understand three things about the book of Revelation that you need to know. Number one, God wins. You can read through Revelation and understand that God wins. Number two, God always gives an opportunity, even to the last moment, for someone to come to know him and be saved. He said, well, what's the last thing? I said, the last thing is, is prophetic. <laughs> this is prophecy. And prophecy isn't easily discerned or understood. As we learned this past year in our initial communities, a lot of time the prophetic books are dealing with the prophecies of Jerusalem and Israel, not necessarily generally in the future. But some are. So you can try to figure out what the 12-headed demon from the east is. It's not your mother-in-law. Okay? It's definitely not mine. But go through that process of thought. So understanding this, that you have these things, I want you to see how this is explained and how we close it today. One of the things that we talk about, three pillars that the branch we always talk about are what? Let's see some, see some testing going on here so you get ready for school. What are the three pillars that we talk about always? <laughs> Say it. Okay, people matter. Oh, how do we define that in one word? Oh, no, that's not the word. Community. Okay, community in what sense? Just the people out there? The people where? Here. here. Community. People matter. Not just in here, but also out there. But we in here are given the responsibility to go out there. Exactly. Okay? That's our mentality. People matter. People are important. God believes people are important. We believe people are important because we believe what God says is important is important. Right? That was verbal. That was a boom. Like explosion. Okay? People matter. What's the next thing? You're, not only do all people matter, you matter. You matter. Because a lot of times we take things and we just put it off on everybody else and we forget about ourselves. You matter. And not just to the branch. More importantly to who? God. People matter to God. Your story matters to God. And the centrality of it is what? That Jesus is everything. And because Jesus is everything, we need to know him. Not knowledge about, but know him intimately, personally. 
Because as we know him, we believe that he is who he said. And we begin to do the things he did because we trust him. And as a part of that process of knowing and believing, what do we do, Ricky? We obey him. I tell my boys this all the time. Hey, listen, I can give you all the rules and regulations, but rules without a relationship always lead to rebellion. You got to have a relationship. God knew that. So he extended relationship to you and I. This is literally Advent come to us so we can live forward from it. When we live forward from Advent, not just in the season of Christmas, expecting what is to come to come again, but now we live from the fact that we move. Our hope is in Jesus. Our peace with God is in Jesus. Our joy flows out from our relationship with Jesus. And that overflow is love, not only for Jesus, but for what else? All people that we come into contact with. That's how we flow that today. That's how we move in that today. The gospel is simply this. You are busted and broken. You are jacked up. Sorry, I know you think you're a great person, and you probably are, but down deep in who you are, you are jacked up completely. Well, no, I'm not. Well, if you just admitted you're not jacked up, then you're a liar, and sin has already entered in, okay? So moving from that, you need hope, and the hope comes from Jesus. That Jesus is who he said he is, that he did everything he said he was going to do. He did everything the Old Testament said he was going to do. He lived that in his life. All prophecy is, is fulfilled in him. Jesus is the yes and amen of God. And he lived the life that we're supposed to live. He died the death we deserve and then resurrected and came back and then dropped the mic. It's complete. And by trusting he is who he said he is, by getting to know him, by believing him, and in that process obeying him, we are saved from our sin, my sin, your sin, because he paid for it. Bless you. This is the gospel explained. And see, this fires, and I know they're all like, oh, looking at me like a professor talking about something else, but this fires me up because here's the deal. I don't put this on anybody else. I don't look at you and go, mm, thinner, thinner, thinner. I don't do that. I work at Home Depot. You know me jacked up people at Home Depot? Because I'm there, a lot of them, okay? But I don't look at someone else and I look at their sin and I get, ooh, I look inward at myself and I realize how jacked up I am. And if Jesus has saved me, he can save anybody. Because I'm as self-centered as any human being in this building, in Dahlonega, in Georgia in the United States of America and possibly the world, I can be as selfish as a pig. But my hope is in him. And because my hope is in him, I have peace with God because he has saved me. Because I have peace with God, there's a joy that's in my life. I can't explain. I can't go around and say, the reason I'm the way I am is because it's the relationship I have with him. And the love that I have in my life doesn't come from me, it comes from him. I can look at people that are completely jacked up and still love them in the same way because his hope, his peace, his joy, his love flows through me. That is how we are supposed to live today. How do we flesh that out? Well, it's kind of interesting the way we flesh it out. We want to obey. We know, we believe, we want to obey. And the one way we do that on Sunday morning is actually to do communion. 
It's following through in obedience and what God has called us to do. And so this morning, as a part of obedience, if you are a follower, if you're a believer, in the back we have the bread and we have the wine juice. Okay. Uh, if you want to partake in that this morning, that's a part of obedience. Okay. But we're going to ask you to do something a little differently this morning because we are so compact. Because we're in this room, we're going to actually ask one side of the room to go first and the other side of the room to go second. That's because it will develop a bottleneck back there and, and you may have to chew on carpet or something, okay? You can't eat the, the bread because you can't get to it. So what we're going to ask to do is that this side of the room goes first and this side of the room goes second. This is our obedience. If you are a believer, we invite you to take place. If you're not a believer, if you're coming and checking out, man, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Um, but this is, this is a sacrament to us, which means it's sacred. It won't do you any good other than putting some bread in your gut and <laughs> juice in your mouth. So just respect our bend towards this and just kind of abstain. Don't be, be a part of it. If you've got a question, there'll be elders in the back that you can ask any one of them and say, hey, listen, i got a question about what he said. He didn't communicate it well enough. Uh, can you tell me what this hope is, what this peace is, what this joy is, what this love is? There'll be folks in the back. If you need to talk to me, I'll be over there too as well. But we're going to pray. And as we pray, we're going to prepare our hearts for communion and for obedience. So let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Father, your word is that which is supposed to be the thing that moves us and changes. Not some dude coming up here and speaking. Okay? It's not about a service. It's not about an attitude. It is about you. It always has been and always will be. You are our hope. You are our peace. You are our joy. You are the love that is within our bones that flows out of our bones. And so this morning, as we've looked back to look forward, let the Christmas story not simply be the Christmas story. Let it be a story that resonates with us all throughout the year. Advent, the expected waiting of what's to come that will come again. We live in the already but not yet. And Father, let that be a part of our attitude. Let that be a part of our gratitude. That we live knowing that you care enough about what you've created to provide a way for what you created to be in relationship with you, Jesus. You've done all that needs to be done. You've offered it to us, not freely. It cost your son his life. But as a gift at Christmas is given, we don't receive it until we take it. And so maybe today you're speaking to a heart, an individual or a group that, that they base their life on how good they are. They base their life on how successful they are. It's their energy and their effort. Father, let them realize that their energy and effort comes to naught when it comes to relationship with you. It's what you've done and what you provided. So speak to us this morning as we celebrate communion in this new year, as we look forward by looking back. Let us remember you and let you be the center of everything. For it is your glory and it is your grace and it's your peace that we seek. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said.